0: Keith Grant, one of the pastors here. And um, as always, I am truly excited to come up here and to speak. You know, as pastors, we have two modes talking and waiting to talk. And so I get to come up here and talk, and you can't stop me, right? And so it's like a dream. And so I want to just continue. We are in a sermon series called Jesus and Every Story. And I was like, man, one of the most beautiful things about the Bible is everything the Bible points to Jesus. And so I was like, well, what can I talk about that points to Jesus? So I was like, I'm gonna make this really easy. I'm gonna use a story with Jesus in it to point to Jesus, right? And so that's what I wanna do today. And so this is what I turned the, told the first group. I said, we are gonna start from the very beginning. I always start from the very, very beginning, man, because it has so many implications to everything else that we believe. And so we are gonna start in the very beginning, And so if you have any plans this afternoon, cancel them now, all right? Because we're going way back. And I want to go back to the garden. I want to start in the very beginning. Now, I think one of the things that we do as Christians or as those who follow Christianity and have thoughts about Christianity is we get it really confused because we get so deep in the woods with everything. Jesus summed up the law. He summed up everything in two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said those two things right there. In the very beginning, God created man in his image. He created man as a loving being. He created him from his love. He created him for his love. And he created him to love, as a loving being. And one of the things he says, in order for us to love God in this relationship is God says, obey what I say. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey. Obedience to God is one of the ways that I love him. And so that was the choice before Adam and Eve in the garden. You can eat of any tree. Just don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat it, you will die. They didn't physically die, but you're introducing death into the world. And what they did was they said, no, we want to be gods. We want to decide, right? That's what, that's what the serpent said to them in Genesis 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Right? It's that friend that says, you're not going to get hurt. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And to Adam and Eve, that sounded really good. I would love to have my eyes opened up so that I can see like God. I can determine what's good and what's evil. The problem is there's 7 billion little gods walking around the earth right now that think that they see clearly. This is what we're dealing with right now. And so one of the things that I want to look at today is what does it really mean to see like God? Because what Jesus is showing us in the scripture, is showing us how to truly see, to truly see with the eyes of God. And so I call this sermon, Seeing Clearly. Seeing Clearly. What happens? What happens when we think we see like God? And so we're actually going to look at a story from Luke 7 today. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And while we do that, let's just pray to prepare our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray. Lord, help us to hear from you today. Lord, one of the things that we pray about is as we listen to this scripture, that you, Spirit, would help us to understand it. Give us examples in our life where this applies. And not only that, Lord, help us to change Help us to turn back to you and to live this out in our lives, Lord, that we would point people to you, to glorify you, that we would have this change in our lives, and then you would move toward other people, Lord. And so we lift this up in prayer, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what's happening in Luke 7, before we jump all the way to verse 36, here's a sort of a brief recap of what has happened right before. In the very beginning of Luke, um, the centurion's servant, is sick and so he calls for Jesus and he, he almost he says to him, Look, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, and so just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he does. not Jesus praises his faith. And then the next scene, right after that, Jesus is going through a town called Nain and he sees a, a funeral procession and a widow has lost her only son. And so Jesus goes to the funeral procession, stops the procession raises the boy from the dead and gives it back to the mother. People are like, a great prophet has risen. Why? Because several hundred years before, the prophet Elijah had ri- rose, what is it? has risen, has rose, basically raised a widow's son from the dead. And so people are reminded what happened. They're saying, a great prophet has come to us. And the next scene after that, John, John the Baptist, his servants or his uh, disciples have come to Jesus saying, are you the one that we've been waiting for? And Jesus says to them, the blind, tell him, go and tell him, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And when they leave, he says, basically, there is no other prophet like John. He is the greatest of all the prophets. He is the greatest, but to be The least in the kingdom is even greater than him. And so that's where we then pick up where we are right now. And it says this in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And I did this for the first service and I'll do it for now. And if I can't get back up, somebody just call 911. I'm going to give you a demonstration of what it means. Literally what Jesus is doing with these men is he's reclining at the table like this. Here is the table and she has now come to his feet right there. I will never do that again, all right? So that's what it means by reclining at table. And oftentimes these houses were open so that people could see what was going on in the house. And so now here comes this woman and she comes into the house and she's standing at his feet crying, weeping, wiping his feet with her hair and anointing his feet and kissing it. Anointing it with ointment. Now, just a couple quick observations as to what's going on here. Because oftentimes we'll read the scripture and we can gloss over these things. Number one, she is a sinner. She's probably a prostitute. And so here is a sinner coming into the house of a religious teacher. She's crashing this party. She is not invited To this party. But she's courageous. Why? Because she doesn't care. And she goes right in, into the house, and begins doing this to Jesus. Now, the second thing is this. She wets his feet. When you cry and you have tears that drop, there are drops on your feet. She is literally wetting his feet. How much do you think she has to be crying? She's not just crying little drops. She's bawling. And she's wetting his feet with her tears. She's taking her hair and wiping it. And in those days, when a woman lets her hair down, what do you think that means? Right? And so there's something in those days that you only did that with your husband in private. And so now she goes. She's wetting his feet. She's wiping it with her hair, and she's taking an alabaster flask. What women would do in those times is they would wear a cord around their neck with a flask of ointment, which is expensive. And she's taking it, and she's anointing his feet, and she's kissing his feet. That's what's going on right now. That's what's happening. Now, let me ask this quick question. This is for the men, right? You're downstairs getting a donut. You're getting coffee. And a woman now comes to you and starts kissing your feet and crying at your feet. What are you thinking? I told the first group, I'm like, I'm looking at my wife like, I don't know her. Right? Why? Because I don't want anybody to think that I've been associated with this woman who is doing these things. That's what's happening in this situation. It's quiet. And they're all just watching this woman do this to Jesus. You see, as this is going on, they're thinking and they're looking. And if you were downstairs and someone was doing this to you, what do you think as the rest of us? What would we be thinking about this person to whom the woman is doing this? You would be thinking in your head, what did you do with this woman that she's now doing this to you. Why? Because we think that we see clearly what's going on and we understand there's something that happened. You did something that she's chasing you around and she's following you and kissing your feet like this, right? Because we can only see the situation and we see it and we think we can figure out what's going on. That's what's happening right here. It's awkward. If you think it's awkward, you are absolutely right. It is awkward. That's what's happening to Jesus. And so now, let's continue on because now we can get a feel for what exactly is Simon thinking? And how is Jesus going to break this awkward silence? Look in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And so as this awkwardness is going on, Simon is thinking to himself, if he knew who this woman was that was doing this, he would not let her touch him. He's thinking this to himself. Right? Imagine the look on Simon's face as he's watching this going on. This guy's a teacher? This is the prophet that they were talking about? He clearly doesn't see what's going on because if he did, he would know that this woman's a sinner and he wouldn't let her touch him. Who is Simon judging? Jesus. Who else is Simon judging? The woman. He is a first-class grade-A judger, right? He looks at a situation. He knows exactly what's going on. And we look at that and be like, who would do that? That's us. That's exactly what we do. We do it every single day. I look at what's going on and I make a judgment right there. Why? Because I think I see clearly what's going on. I think I see with the eyes of God. So he thinks that he sees like a prophet. A prophet is one who sees with the eyes of God. He thinks he clearly sees what was going on. He looks at Jesus and says, he doesn't understand what's going on with this woman's heart right here. He can't see it. He either doesn't know or he doesn't care who this woman is, but he's letting her touch him. That's what he's thinking right there. Now, what does Jesus do? And here's one of the beautiful things that I love in scripture. Watch what Jesus does. Does Jesus get angry at Simon? Right? Why? Jesus is so filled with his Father's love that Jesus is not affected by what people think and say about him. It's one of the most beautiful things in Scripture. To be that filled with love. Your Father's love that I am not moved by what you say. How I feel about myself, how I feel about other people, is not determined by what you say and how you treat me. And so he can go to Simon and he can go right to him. He doesn't have to respond to what he said. Because I'm thinking, if I'm thinking in my head, if I know what you're thinking in your head, my first thought is, what would you say about me? Or what were you thinking about me? Right? And that's going to affect. He doesn't think like that because he's so full of his father's love. And so Jesus says, let me ask you a question. I have something to say to you. Two people owed money. One owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50. Both couldn't pay it back. Both were forgiven. Now, who would love more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one that owed more money, that had more forgiven. Which is really interesting because if you truly knew the answer, you would say the one that was forgiven more. He says, I suppose... When somebody says, I suppose, what that means is, you're walking me down a path somewhere. He's walking him down a path. He's like, I don't want to let you trap me. I suppose the one that was forgiven more. And what does Jesus say? You have judged rightly. Now, you're seeing clearly. Now, you understand. Two people are Oh, one owes this much, one owes this much. Both are forgiven. Who do you think would love more? I guess the one who owed that much more. Yes. Yes, he says to Simon. You see, the application number one the key to loving God is to see how much you've been forgiven. You have to look and see how much you've been forgiven in your life. And when you begin to see that, it grows your love for God. Let me just say this right now. Well, let me ask this question. How many of you want to love Jesus more? We all want to do it. None of us know how to do it. I will tell you right now, you cannot muster love for Jesus. You cannot do it. You cannot think that if I read my Bible more, if I volunteer If I do these things, I will love Jesus more. Let me just save you the trouble right now. You cannot love Jesus more by doing those things. So how am I going to love Jesus more? How am I going to fall in love with him more? Have you ever been to, you know, either here at Riverside or somewhere else, and you see during worship time people's hands are just raised in the air, and you think to yourself, how come I don't feel like them? How come I can't? You feel this love like them. You see what's happening right here? You are looking at them the same way Simon is looking at the woman. Why? Because I look at somebody with their hands raised and think they must really love, they're doing something right. They really love Christ. And what you don't see clearly is for many people that are like that, they have been through so much in their life and they're so thankful for his forgiveness that the way it expresses itself is what? The joy and the hands in the air. That's what's going on right here. And so what he says to Simon is, now you've judged rightly. And let me show you. See, what happens is when you judge, it blinds you to what's really going on with people. It's one of the reasons why Jesus says in Matthew is take the plank out your own eye first before you start pointing out the speck in your brother's eye. Look at yourself first. Before you judge somebody else, look at yourself and ask the question, where do I do the same thing? Look at yourself first before you're so quick to talk about somebody else. You know, in my life, I have prayed this prayer. I said, God, help me because I do not love you. We always talk about authentic prayer, real prayer. I said, God, I don't love you. I want to love you. I don't. I've often told my wife, I've said, honey. I don't know if you know of how blessed you were when the day that you married me, right? That's her reaction too. Why? Because I said, because when I got married, I was like, man, I got a good job, right? I'm making money. I don't have any issues. Man, you made out great in this deal right now, right? But I had no love. I had no love for my wife. I had no love for God. And I said, I need help, God, because I never knew how broken I really was. Right? And so what God began to show me was my brokenness, my sin. And because I saw my sin and I began to see how holy Christ is, And I began to see how sinful I really was. You see how that gap gets bigger? And because that gap is bigger, and because Christ died for my sins, what do you think that does for my my love for Jesus? It grows it. And now I love him more because Jesus looks at me and says, I always knew how broken you were. Your eyes are just now getting open to how sinful and broken you really are. And so it grows my love for him as I become so filled with his love. What do you think that does for my love for other people? It begins to move outward. And I begin to love other people more also because I'm not judging you anymore. I'm looking at myself and saying, I've been forgiven this much. I look at you with different eyes now. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening. Jesus is trying to get Simon to stop and think. Stop and think. You have judged rightly. In the example he gave him, you have judged rightly. If you're going to love God, if you're going to start with the first commandment to love God, you have got to look at your own sin first and see how much you have been forgiven first. And now what he does is say, I want you to hold on to that example. I want you to hold on to the parable that I just gave you, the money lender. Now watch what we do with it. Look in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so watch what he does with Simon right here. He says to Simon, do you see this woman? If this is Simon here and you represent the woman, do you see this woman? I came and you gave me no water for my feet. Yet she hasn't stopped wetting my feet with her tears. And you gave me no kiss. And yet she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't anoint my head with oil. And yet she hasn't stopped anointing my feet. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Because she loves so much. What is he trying to get Simon to do to the woman? To do what? To. Simon, do you see this woman? I'm trying to get you to slow down and look at her. To see clearly what's going on. Simon has disrespected Jesus. He offered him no water for his feet. He did not anoint his head with oil and he gave him no kiss. And yet, she has done all these things. What is he doing to the woman? And what is he doing to Simon? You want to know how the kingdom works? Oh, by the way, you want to know who the true originator of women's rights was? There's your true originator of women's rights. Don't be confused. That's where it comes from, right there. And so, now, is he saying... To the woman, it's okay, your sin's okay. Or it's not, it's okay what you did. No, he's saying is your sins, which are many, are forgiven. I forgive you of your sins. I love what he says in Luke 14. He goes, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see so much about who God is in this scripture right there. When you lower yourself, what does God do? He exalts you. You see, the second application is this. Loving other people involves what we just said, seeing yourself clearly and other people clearly too. That you see other people clearly too. Clearly means that I now see people with the eyes of a true prophet. Who loves Jesus more in this story? Simon or the woman? Why? Why does she love Jesus more? She's had that much more to be forgiven. And she sees it. Right? And she is willing to do anything to express her love. Even walking in on a good old boy party with all men. Even though she's a sinner. And she doesn't care because she's going in there to express her gratitude and her love for Jesus. She's not forgiven because she loved. She loves because she's been forgiven. She's probably heard Jesus speaking somewhere about forgiveness, and she's received the forgiveness. This whole scene is an expression of the fact that she's been forgiven. That's what he's trying to get Simon to see. All you see is you look at her and you just see a dirty sinner. And I'm telling you right now, what I see, I see a woman who loves. I see a woman who repents. And I see a woman who's forgiven and is not afraid to express it. That's what I see. I love Simon. He thinks Jesus is the one who doesn't clearly see. Who is the one who clearly can't see what's going on? Who is the true prophet in the story? The answer is always Jesus, (laughs) right? And so what he's teaching in his love, he's teaching Simon how to love. Because he's loving. Jesus is showing how you love like God. Simon needs to do the first thing, which is to see his own sin. And when you see your own sin, and you see how much you've been forgiven, I now don't judge you because I see how much I've been forgiven. And I'm so filled with Christ and the Holy Spirit that I now go and I love. Her faith saves her. And the people at the table are amazed. Who is this? Who but God can forgive sins? One of the interesting things that you'll see in Scripture, and you see it all the time, is this transaction in love. This is the movement of love. And so I want to take you guys back to high school. All right? Some of you, it's going back a little further than others. You're in high school, and imagine that kid in high school who is really unpopular. And do people tend to gravitate toward that person or move away from that person? They move away from that person. Why? Because if I hang out with this kid right here, they rub off on me, and people think that I am like that, right? Guilt by association or whether it's an unpopular kid, or a promiscuous person. I don't want to associate with that person because then that'll rub off on me. But watch what happens right here. Watch the transaction that happens right here. She touches Jesus. She cries, she's weeping, she's doing all these things at his feet, and Jesus never shoes her away. And so Jesus is taking on her what? Her shame. And what is Jesus giving her in return? Right? He's lifting her up. You see the exchange that has happened here? That's what happens in love. And you see this throughout the Bible all the time. She's making him unclean. He takes on her bad reputation and he elevates her by lifting her up. And when you see that right there, it always points to a bigger transaction in the gospel for what Jesus was preparing to do, which was to go to the cross and do the ultimate transaction. He took our shame, he took our sin upon himself and was beaten, was mocked, was spit upon, was killed, was hung on a cross, was killed. And rose again. He took all of that from us upon himself. And what does he do to us? He gives us life. That's the ultimate transaction. That's what this is all about. And you know what? When you see how much you've been forgiven, what do you think that does for your love for him? I begin loving him that much more. You see the heart of God in this story right here. This is who God is. This is how God works. And I love, because you never, never overlook this, Jesus shames those who think they're wise. I love this scripture right here. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 31. And I'm reading the message version. Look how the Apostle Paul says this. He says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have— right thinking, right living, a clean slate, and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. If I'm going to blow a horn, it's blow a horn for Christ, what he did for me. Why? Because I'm a sinner. I am no better than any of you. I've just seen my sin I've asked for forgiveness, and as I begin to grow in my faith, I begin to see really how broken I've been. So how could I even begin to look at you and think that you're worse? Or judge you, or think I truly know what's going on. That's why the woman receives salvation. She's saved, and she's expressing her love. He doesn't get it, because he thinks he's got nothing to be forgiven. And so therefore, because he thinks he has nothing to be forgiven, he has no love at all. The first thing we said, the key to loving is to see how much you've been forgiven. See how much you've been forgiven in your life and you start there. And if you don't see that, ask the Lord to help you. And as you begin to have your eyes open to how much you've been forgiven, now I can do the second one too, which is loving other people. It involves clearly seeing me, which is the first thing, and now clearly seeing other people. Because I see now with the eyes of Christ, as he lives his life through me, the first commandment is to love God. We love God when we see how much we've been forgiven. The second commandment is to love others and we, leave, we love other people when we see clearly with the eyes of Christ. That's what Jesus is trying to show Simon. And that is how a true prophet is one who sees with the eyes of God. Pray with me. Father, Father, Lord, let's just come before you and just be real and be honest, Lord. We judge every day. We judge often. We judge everybody. We are really good at it, Father. And it's because we think that we clearly see with the eyes of God. We think that we're God's, Lord. Father, help us. Because I know for many of us, Lord, we have absolutely, we don't have love for you. And we sure as heck don't love other people. But this is what you've called us to. If we could take all your commandments and wrap them up, this is what you're telling us to do, to love God and to love other people. That's how we show people the kingdom. That's how we can share Christ with other people, that we display your love, Lord. Help us do this, Father, because we don't do it well. Father, we pray for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ already and are struggling with this. Help them fall in love with you, Lord. Help us love you more because we struggle. And Father, there are many here today who have not given their lives to Christ. And my prayer today, Father, is that those who haven't given their life to you would do exactly what the woman did, would hear your offer of forgiveness and accept it because it's a free gift And for those of you who haven't, I just want to lead you in a quick prayer that you can do right where you are. And it's just a way of receiving that forgiveness. And you can just repeat these words after me and say, dear God, I've sinned against you my whole life. I've tried to be my own God. I believe that Jesus died and rose again to forgive me of my sins. And I want to receive that free gift of salvation. And I thank you, Lord. With all eyes closed and heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Father, help us. We know that how the kingdom works, Lord, when we lower ourselves, that's when we're exalted. And that's ultimately when you're exalted. Help us to live a life of love in which we lower ourselves. It makes absolutely no sense in this world today, Lord, but that's what the kingdom you're calling us to live in, Lord. Show us where we need to lower ourselves, Father. We love you and we thank you. Help us to go out into the world now and tell other people and share with other people, Lord, and to live lives that draw people to you. We lift this in prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll be